0: Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young, a nursing podcast with your host, Beth Quas. Before we get started, we have a few quick notes. Don't Eat Your Young is a listener-supported podcast. To learn more about becoming a member and the perks available to you for becoming a patron yourself, visit patreon.com slash don'teatyouryoung. You can learn more about the show, share your story to join Beth as a guest, or connect with our wonderful community in our Facebook group. You can find all those links and more at don'teatyouryoung.com.
1: Welcome to Don't Eat Your Young. I'm your host, Beth Quas. Today we have Sonia Spruill. She's a nurse from Charleston, South Carolina. She's been a nurse since 2006. We're going to talk today about mentoring new nurses, uh, some of the trials and tribulations that come along with that, as well as what it takes to form a magnet hospital from the nursing perspective. So welcome, Sonia.
2: Hi, thank you for having me.
1: I'm excited to talk to you today, and you're coming to us from South Carolina.
2: Yes, good old Charleston.
1: <laughs> Tell us a little bit about yourself, your nursing career, and what brought you to here.
2: So, I have been a nurse since 2006. I went to an ADN program, um, and I was trying to find my niche in nursing, as most people do. Just thinking you have one thing figured out. I wanted to do a pediatric mid surge, and quickly found out that was not uh, what I needed to do. Um, So I was able to find a new grad position in the OR. um, And that was where I really found my niche and my people. So I was there for 11 years. In 2017, I transitioned out into a nursing professional development role, which is basically clinical education. I'm in the centralized department, but I've still supported the ORs, um, including ones that I had worked for. So it was a good transition because I was able to understand um, a lot of the nurses that were coming through and what they were going to be expecting to deal with coming on board into that environment. And how do you think, I've
1: had several OR nurses on the podcast, and of course I've worked with them for decades, but the orientation that you go through is quite extensive and A lot of people don't have a good experience with that. Can you talk a little bit about that?
2: My orientation at the time um, was not very structured. So we didn't have a structured program like there is now where you have like a defined didactic um, information as well as like a different uh, structured hands-on component. It was kind of a kind of here, we're going to do this today. We're going to look at this video and then we're going to put you into like basically into the frying pan. Here you go. We're going to see if you sink or swim. Um, And so a lot of my preceptors at the time were not very patient. Um, There were some, um, but there were also some that were not very patient. And so it was very hard to kind of know what you're expected to do when you have no background. This is not something that's taught in nursing schools. It's a different set of skills, different set of expectation, anticipation, not really knowing how to manage this type of uh, environment and taking care of a patient in this way. And the culture of the OR is different, I think, than
1: anywhere else in the hospital.
2: Yes, it is. It's a very um, intense culture, I would say, um, intense environment. Um, you're dealing with a lot of different personalities all at once. You have the, the temperament of a surgeon. Um, you have anesthesia personnel that you're dealing with. You have also here at an academic medical center, then you have medical students, residents, anyone else that's kind of learning at the same time. And it can be very, um, intense and a very high pressure type of situation where your thinking has to be kind of steps ahead, which is hard to, kind of learn straight out the gate. It's something that kind of happens. You pick up along the way, um, but that also comes with having great preceptors and a great type of plan in place for orientation. So you're able to feel confident and get to that, get to that point.
1: And I would say, and you can speak to this as well, you can do the same procedure, you can do a laparoscopic gallbladder, but every surgeon might do it just a little bit differently. So when you say try to stay a step ahead, you have to know all of those nuances, which don't just come with an orientation that takes experience and a lot of time.
2: It does. And I think that's where a lot of new nurses Um, kind of get down on themselves. And I I was definitely in that same position. I had high expectations for myself and I couldn't figure out like, why couldn't I get it? Like I've done this procedure before, but like you said, um, to your point, it was a different surgeon. So they could be within the same group, but they each do things so very differently based on their own training and their experience. So you're having to learn new languages over and over it seems.
1: Right. And now that you are... On the education side of things and mentoring new nurses, do you think you had an advantage or a disadvantage maybe coming in as a brand new nurse?
2: I would say I had an advantage. Um, And the reason why I say that is because when you're straight out of nursing school, the slate is kind of still clean. You don't really have enough of a, I would say, experience on a different floor where it seems that you could become jaded or too set in your ways as far as how you learn and how you intake information. So I've seen it on both sides in the education side where you, we have experienced nurses coming in from another department and sometimes it's hard for them to flip into a different mode because it is a different mode when you're into the OR. Um, and so having to go from an expert back to a novice is very hard for a lot of people. Whereas coming as a new grad, you know already, well, I don't really know much. I just know I graduated. So they tend to take it, take the information a little bit easier because they know everything is brand new for them anyway.
1: Well, and the patient care is a little bit different. Yes. It's different.
2: Yes, it is. Um, Your patient's asleep. You have to be an advocate for your patients um, and be that safety person even though that means sometimes coming up against temperaments that may not be as accepting of your, you know, how much you notice and the things that you're trying to achieve with, you know, patient, safe patient care. But it's kind of, that's the thing that's the hardest part of the learning curve is how do I develop that OR voice? How do I get the confidence to be able to speak up? I know something is wrong, but how do I say something, even though I know I'm brand new, I date, you know, How am I going to be respected? They're going to hear me.
1: That is something, too, that I don't think we teach in nursing school as well. And Don't Eat Your Young, this podcast, speaks exactly to that. How do we keep nurses in these positions by making them feel confident and knowledgeable and give them what they need? And I know that we lack a lot uh, in our profession.
2: Yeah, that is true. And I think definitely in these last couple of years, um, nurses have been stretched really thin. Um, burnout is a real thing. Um, and so when you have the same volume of cases that are coming in, but you have less resources, particularly, or you have, you might not have the same staff because staff, uh, the turnaround is kind of high. So everyone's trying to keep up with the pace. And then when you add on, throwing in someone who's brand new, who has no idea. Nursing staff are not as patient as probably, you know, if things were different, you know, a few years ago. Um, So it's kind of disencouraging to new nurses that are coming into the OR um, because it's, you know, I want to be here, but then I have, you know, nursing staff who they're tired. They've been here on call. They've had to pick up extra shifts. They're orienting all the time. They have a new person every day you know, how am I going to get as much from this learning experience as I need to without frustrating them even more? So I think it's a hard line that is kind of already drawn and new orientees really don't know how to navigate around that.
1: Which leads me to believe with your experiences, when you went into that education and mentoring role, you were phenomenal at it because you knew what people needed.
2: Yeah, I mean, I had been there. I didn't forget, um, even with the experience that I gained. I always said that once I got more experience and I was going to start precepting and mentoring, that I wanted to be different than those that had precepted. And, and I didn't have a mentor, but that precepted me. So I didn't want to continue that same pattern because I knew that went nowhere. It was only because someone else gave me a different perspective on it because I was at one point on orientation. I just had to figure out, is it me? I want to be here, but I don't know what I'm doing wrong. I feel like I'm always doing something wrong. I shouldn't be crying, come in to work. I shouldn't feel like, oh, well, they won't miss me. It doesn't matter. Um, But it wasn't until I talked with someone and they said, you know what? let's think about this a little bit differently. And it was my educator at the time. She said, let's do something a little bit different. Let's just see. And it was that second round of opportunity that I got the chance to see like, okay, this is, this is my place. You know, I'm learning. I'm not having as much of the same experiences as I was before. I think people kind of had to kind of put a pause on, the intimidation factor or the games that tends to happen. Um, and that was with our whole class. And so they realized, okay, we need to kind of adjust and do things a little bit differently. And that made a difference for me. And that's why I said that I was going to be different. And doing that differently as a preceptor propelled me when I became into the education uh, realm that I was going to treat them the same um, and do something different and actually look at them as a whole person, not just a number that's filling in a spot. Right. And as you mentioned,
1: COVID kind of threw us into the warm body mentality and none of us felt good about it. It was just the reality at the time. So I'm glad you bring that up. Now you're educating new operating room nurses. Can you talk a little bit about PERIOP 101?
2: Yes, so the program uh, we do utilize Perry Up on a One as kind of our didactic foundational basis um, to give just some background information for all people that are new to the OR. What we do with that is we take that, but then talk about more of how to apply that to their everyday practice of what where they're going to be. So not teaching to the module information because everyone can read on their own. You know, we're not going to be doing that. But just to say, okay, how do you take this concept of um, surgical energy? How do you apply that in a safe manner? Well, you know, you have these different components. You know, you have your electrocautery, you have your bovie pads. So how are we going to make our patients safe with this? What are the things that we need to do that's going to be safe for everyone um, in that situation and what that looks like? So I think having that kind of this is what you need to do with the information has helped a lot more people. Um, kind of adding in some skills labs, putting our hands-on equipment, being able to connect things. It kind of makes things make sense of what they're reading because, you know, you can get, you know, you get slides and you look at 50 different slides and it's like, oh gosh, like I- I'm dumb, should be paying attention, but your mind is shifted after a period of time. So you're not really, none of it's not really sinking in, but when you look at it, from the hands-on point, and you actually put your hands on it, you see it, you see how it works in, you know, a non-anxiety-ridden environment where it's just a class, there's no patient involved, um, it kind of puts things, you know, people a little bit more at ease and they feel a little bit more comfortable, and the understanding kind of takes place there.
1: That has got to be so much better than what used to happen when you came in the OR. And really, you you learned on the fly. And I'll tell you, for anybody that's ever been in the OR, (laughs) right before incision, you have to have about 18 hands to plug everything in and get everything set because you're the one that's not sterile and they're handing you the sterile wires and tubes and you have to have it all set up it instantaneously. And then during the procedure, if they start pulling specimens,
2: oh yeah, trying to keep up. I
1: I sit below that drape because I know that I couldn't keep up
2: with everything that's
1: and they're barking off sites and specimens. And I tell you what, it takes a special kind of person to do what you do.
2: Yeah. And it's just something a lot of uh, my the new orientees are kind of like, they'll tell me about procedures that they've done. We do a debrief usually every week. And so they say, oh, I saw this procedure. I don't know how they we have like 50 specimens. I don't know how to keep up with all of that. And, you know, how do I get better? And I said, unfortunately, it's going to be just practice and time. There's no magic tip I could give you, I could teach you how to be organized, but how that looks to me may not be the same for you. So you're going to have to figure out in your practice what works best for you, but also make sure you have complete information. So, you know, we can give you these tidbits, but what that looks like in real time is going to be, you know, kind of different. Um, But yeah, just it is overwhelming. You not only do you have to have the OR voice to be able to speak up, but you have to have the OR ear so you're hearing all nuances of what's happening. You know, surgeon, and you can attest to this too, can be talking in a normal tone, discussing probably something non-surgery related, and in the midst of that, automatically say, Oh, okay, we got to do something, or they just change the inflection in their voice. And you know it's becoming a more complex or serious situation if you're not kind of keen to that and listening out, then you miss that. And then it's like, oh gosh, they gotta and they got to scramble and they're looking at you, you're not prepared. You don't know what you're doing. So all of that, so... <laughs>
1: If the listeners could see me, I'm shaking my head. Yes. Oh my gosh. Yes. Because if you don't listen, like you said, it's a normal conversation going on about something. And then all of a sudden it's raise the bed or do something. And yeah. and then a second or two later, either the RN or the scrub tech in the room raises their voice to let me know <laughs> you right. missed that
2: there. So yeah.
1: people that are in it understand that.
2: Yeah, exactly. It's, yeah, it can be, it could go from zero to 60 in any given moment, even if it's something that's regularly scheduled. Right. Not a, you know, not an immediate emergency type of situation.
1: So what else, who else are you teaching besides the new nurses coming in?
2: Besides new to OR, we do have some experienced staff that do come in, um, of course, travelers that kind of come in as well, just kind of keeping them kind of abreast as to what um, policies look like here, what the standard of practice is um, at that um, location, just kind of keeping them kind of on the same page. Um, and then we also have some international nurses that are coming in from different countries. Um, so trying to give them more or less in an abbreviated and kind of accelerated on 101 in the respect of they have experience, but not experience here in the States. So just kind of showing them what that looks like here and getting them familiar with technology here and, and us learning from them as well to know like, you know, where they are, what their practice has been with healthcare is like in their, in their country. So I get the chance to get that experience as well.
1: And the naming of instruments, they're not all called the same by no. every person. And I, right. it blows my mind when it, that, you know, the surgical techs and nurses, they know it all. They know the names and the different names.
2: It is, right, because that's part of things in our pair class that so we go over and with our. Any, anyone that's coming in, we discuss like names of instruments. We kind of pull out account sheets and look at it and say, okay, um, are you familiar with these names? And they're like, well, no, I haven't seen that before. What do you guys call it? So we'll talk about names and then they'll say names that they're familiar with. And then we also talk about the nicknames because it's not just the name that's on the sheet. There are various nicknames depending on where they train. They call it all kinds of things. Some things make sense, some don't. It's so like, I don't even know how they come up with that name, but <laughs> I, like, I don't know either. But that's this is what you'll hear. So, this is what they're talking about.
1: And on top of all that, then you throw in new equipment and the sales rep that comes in the room and is moving things. And yes, that's a whole different ball game. Yeah. <laughs> when they come in.
2: Yeah, it is. Yeah. When you have all these additional, uh, I would say, I guess, visitors, vendors that come in than it is, it's an added because they're limited in their capacity and they know a lot about their product. Um, But trying to kind of keep them. Okay. I understand. Thank you. Thank you that you're here, that you have the insight. You can give some helpful information. Um, But this is kind of, you know, you have to keep them in a particular line because they're not clinical So they can't operate in a clinical manner, no matter how familiar they are with the surgeon and the specialty and the surgery and the procedure. Maybe they're here every day, but, you know, just trying to keep them um, kind of on their pace. I mean, they are a good resource for information because they are well-versed in their product. So that's, I mean, they do provide a lot of great help in that manner.
1: I would say that you said that in the kindest way. And sometimes (laughs) you just want to say, stay in your lane. You talk about your equipment or your product Otherwise, we're here to run the OR. Thank you very much. Yes.
2: yes. Uh, let me run my room, please. Um yes. you stay right there. Just give me the information so I can put it in the, in the documentation. I appreciate it. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I, and I will say, you know, there are some that have bailed me out quite a few times um, scrubbing into specialties that I had not really done on a regular basis. And just kind of feeling like a fish out of water. And I'm like, oh, thank God a vendor's here. Can you just tell me what they're calling this? I just need to know what they what they refer to this as. Give me the names. Tell me what's next. What are the steps? Because I know you know the steps. And that's helped me. But yes, there are some. Sometimes it's like, I just need you to just stay over there. Yeah. Please. <laughs> but you're right.
1: Many of them are very kind people and extremely knowledgeable. Yeah. So... Then you decided to get more involved in your hospital committees and things like that and I know when we talked before we talked about magnet status and I'm interested in that because I've never worked in a magnet hospital and I know we talked a little bit about what it takes to get there so could you talk a little bit about that and that process?
2: Yeah. So while I was a nurse in the OR, an opportunity came up for me to be involved in the Magnet Committee. There was a nurse that was leaving and she said, well, we still need a representative to carry on the work um, because at this point we had not been designated as of yet. We were still on the journey. I said, hey, you know what? I want to do some more things. I want to kind of spread my wings a little bit, add some more knowledge. Um, To me, I was always one that kind of sought out different things. And it was the opportunity for me to Just hear what other people on other units were talking about because in the OR, you're secluded. You're, no one knows what goes on behind the red line. So it's kind of like no one understands. And so being able to listen to other people on other units talk about their journey for Magnum as well and their staffing issues and things of that nature, it was kind of eye opening. So I enjoyed it. You know, I was there when we got the interview. We had the visit. Um, I was there coaching staff. They had some staff that were chosen to kind of interview with the surveyors and be like, Hey, this, you know, we do these things. It just looks different in the OR. So it was a kind of a hard hill upward to try to make it look, you know, people were like, well, I don't understand. Like the magnet stuff is only for inpatient nursing. The OR doesn't apply. So, but it does, we just do things differently. So we do all of these patient centered care, um, initiatives, it just looks different from our standpoint, but we are part of this. And so trying to coach them into making sure they understood the process and felt a little bit more comfortable about being interviewed. Um, and it went well. We got our designation. Um, and so that was a great, a great day for everybody. Um, and I know part of that was, um, trying to encourage nurses to get their bachelor's degree, those that didn't. And I know that's not really. Some people felt some kind of way about that because they're like, well, I have an associate's degree. That's just as good as a bachelor's degree. I don't plan on doing anything different. Why do I need to do that now, especially those that are well into their careers? And so aside from those, there were some that kind of felt like, oh, well, maybe I do want to do something differently. So, sure, I'll you know, go forward and get my bachelor's, or now I will try to become certified because I've been here a few years and I definitely have the eligibility. I just don't know how to go about doing it. So, in addition to that, I also was a certification coach for CCI um, for the CNOR. So, I was able to get materials and kind of help people study for the exam and get them signed up for the exam and things like that. So, um, the manual journey was, it was an interesting one. I think people learned a lot. Uh, Some things they were kind of, like I said, not really supportive of, but it was good that we got the designation and just recently re-designation, so.
1: Oh, nice. And I know we talked about that before because we're both ADN nurses and some of the smartest, best nurses I know are ADN nurses. And, you know, I probably would have been in the camp of why do we have to get a BSN and yeah, I don't know. For the designation, I don't think that that gives a nurse any better patient care skills. Right. But it might open their eyes to more um more things that are out there that we may not realize.
2: Right. And I think that was the picture I wanted to paint for them, to say no, no one is saying that you are forced to do this. However, if you want to expand and do something a little more elevated or different, You are going to have to eventually do that. Um, But, you know, it also helps you to get the things that we didn't get in ADM program. You know, ADM program taught us how to hit the job running. Like, here we are, you are ready to go because we had to manage the skills as well as the schoolwork all at the same time. It taught us time management and prioritization, I think, better than a lot of bachelor's programs because they're front-loaded on information and you get clinicals at the end. So you don't really get that piece until later. And some tend to struggle coming out of that. Not everyone, some do better at, than others. But, you know, I think that was, it was a hard sell for those that had a, had an ADA and they're like, oh, they only want us to do this because of this journey right now. But, you know, I think it, it worked out, you know, like I said, we got redesignation re- uh, recently, so. Good. I think people are more calm about it at this point.
1: And did your hospital at that point, did they help financially people wanting to go back and get an advanced degree?
2: Yes. So they had some scholarships uh, for the local college because there's a college of nursing attached. So they offer scholarships for nurses who wanted to take advantage of that. Also, they offer tuition assistance. So there, there were multiple ways that they wanted to support people to go about getting that extra, extra degree.
1: So what's next for you? What do you see yourself doing over the next few years?
2: Uh, let's see. Next for me, hope to continue in education. Uh, maybe something on a different scale. Maybe something more on a development side. Um, developing content or assisting with developing content, um, that's kind of where I'm hoping to go, is in my next steps.
1: How about teaching beyond hospital education?
2: So I thought about that. (laughs) I did get a small taste uh, when I did my MSN program, um, where I was responsible for a couple of clinical groups, and I got to teach a class. Uh, That was very daunting, I'm going to say. I'm used to teaching smaller groups. You know, the max we would have in the period class is 10. To go to from that to 170 <laughs> was yeah. was a lot. Um, I, I managed to get through it. Um, but I don't know if nursing faculty is my calling. I enjoyed it. It was a great learning experience for me. but I'm not sure. I mean, I, I'm going to say I'm going to keep my, my mind open. I don't like to not say I'll never do anything because I probably would have said I would never be an OR nurse years ago. Um, But here we are. So I'll keep it. I'll keep my mind open. (laughs) I think what
1: better person could teach the education for the OR than somebody that's lived in it like you have and were mentored the way you were and saw the way you wanted to be mentored and precepted and precepting other people now, I think is amazing. So people that learn from you will have a leg up once they step into the OR.
2: Well thank you. I appreciate that. You know, I just I just realized people forget about the whole component of the fact that people have a whole life outside of the OR. The OR is not the end all be all. And so when you have things that are going on outside, um sometimes it can affect and that's something that I always kind of saw into people just kind of knowing that this is frustrating. This is hard. This is a lot that you're having to learn. It's fast paced and you feel like if you don't get it the first time, then you're never going to get it. But one of the things I used to, I always would say at the end of a pair up class is I give what I call my grace speech is having grace, um, with yourself because you want to be probably farther than you are. And it's frustrating in the beginning because you feel like you're never going to grasp the concept. It's not fast enough. How are you ever going to kind of get it all and make it all make sense? You know, but you have to have that grace with yourself to know it takes a moment. And if I didn't have that with myself, I would have quit anyway. I just kind of had to get up and say, okay, it's a new day. I know I want to be here. I got to figure out how to make it work. You know that's how I was able to survive, and I, you know, I tell people all the time it's it's hard because we're always hardest on ourselves. We are our worst critic, but if you allow yourself just that little bit, it actually ends up working out in the end. So people tend to um, feel okay after after that, um, and after being with the class because they have less anxiety. You know, one of the things we. Also, <laughs> we like to do role-playing and put them through a little bit of anxiety where they have to be in that role. And we, um, I would pretend to be a surgeon and kind of pull from temperaments that I had dealt with over the years Yes, and put that little bit of pressure. Like, this is what you're going to experience, but this is a safe zone because you don't have a real patient. But this is the pressure you're going to have to feel. So how are you going to manage? How are you going to deal with all of the things that can be a distractor? and the anxiety that you're going to feel and this is the time to play it out and think it through and I think that kind of helps as well.
1: Well, I think that has to help because what better place to do it than like you said without a patient but you get the feeling, you get the knot in your gut, when (laughs) some intimidating loud surgeon is breathing down your neck about something that may or may not be urgent at the time but to them they think it is so I think that's a fantastic learning opportunity. Yeah. What inspiration would you like to share with nurses? And I'm so glad that you came on and you talked about giving yourself grace. And I think you're a very calming presence. So I'm very happy that you're in the role that you're in. But what else would you like to share with nurses right now?
2: This is only because of um, some things that I've learned, even from orientees, I'm learning a lot um, from them. And... You know, feeling like, did I make the right decision? Is this the right choice? I would say, you know, allow yourself some time to kind of settle in and just try to take it day by day. That's the only thing you really can do. You can't jump ahead. You know, it's just not possible. But if you take it day by day and even if you're having a bad day, figure out what you can still learn from the bad day. Was it? Maybe this is not the precept I want to be. I don't want to be that way. You learned it. You learned, okay, I don't want to be that way. So what can I still gain from each day? Um, because there's something to always learn. Your learning never stops. Um, I tell them all the time too, like I've been a nurse or a nurse for 11 years, but I never stopped learning because there's things that are always changing. Technology is advancing. I always wanted to be a constant student. So always learning always looking at different things. I said, you know, and just thinking about people coming in now, you know, you can always learn something from each experience, um, no matter how small. And you take each of those things and that's how you can develop your practice. You know, you can develop confidence that way. The more that you are looking at those things from that perspective, thinking about these patients as every patient is a VIP. So always thinking about that. Don't skimp steps. Don't try to, you know, have the workaround. I know nurses, you know, it's horrible. We do try to come up with all workarounds to make life a little bit faster, but, you know, you just always have to think about being a patient advocate because that's why you're here. And just taking it from that perspective and not that this is just a job because it's not a, nursing is a calling. I do believe that. Um And so you just have to really take note of that and soak everything in.
1: I love that. I think that is so important for people to hear. We can learn from even the bad situations that we're in. If it's not what we want to do, it's what we definitely don't want to do. And I think the more we can do that, eventually we gain the confidence, like you said, but we also gain respect from others when we aren't afraid to stand up and advocate for our patients and ourselves and those around us. Yes. I have a feeling that you wouldn't mind if people interested in the operating room reached out to you because I think you would have words of wisdom for them or nurses out practicing now.
2: Yeah, totally. Um, I don't mind it at all. I just, you know, I'm always a person that's an encourager. That's kind of my, I guess it's kind of my, my temperament. So I always do like to be a calming presence. I don't, I'm, I considered myself to be a person that was kind of grace under pressure because you didn't see it on my face, but you know, that was how I had to survive. Like, okay, don't let it show. Don't let it show. You just got to, just got to get through it and just start thinking my way out of, you know, what was happening and just maneuvering from there. So sure. Like I, I definitely don't mind people reaching out if they have questions about starting in the OR um, and things like that. I'm definitely open to that. Well,
1: thank you. I so appreciate you coming on the show and telling your story. And um, I think you really do have a calming presence. So uh, I appreciate that as well.
2: Thank you. I appreciate that.
0: Donate Your Young was produced in partnership with True Story FM. Engineering by Andy Nelson. Music by The Lighthearts. Find the show, show notes, and transcripts at DonateYourYoung.com. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. But the best thing you could do to support the show is to share it with a friend or colleague. Thank you for listening.